Hey everybody, welcome to the Business Line Podcast, episode two. We're excited to have all you guys back. Probably some new folks coming in and watching and listening, uh, but just just know that we're really super excited to have you here. My name's Brian. This is my good friend. Manish. Or Manish. Uh, you got to know Manish and me a little bit last week. This week we're, we're expanding out a little bit. We've got a guest with us today, someone I am unbelievably excited to get to know better today with you guys. His name is David Kitchen. He's the founder of a, a business and organization called Edge Leadership Academy. Uh, that speaks to my heart because years ago, uh, my eyes were open to what leadership actually really is and all the things that grew out of that. But just a little bit about David here. He has uh, over 10 years of experience as a collegiate strength and conditioning coach. Um, and at one point, he was the youngest head strength coach in all of NCAA when he was 24 years old. I'm not going to share what I was doing when I was 24 years old because it's not very impressive. <laughs> um, you know, he's got experience uh, D1 basketball, uh, Georgia Southern University, also FBS college football at UNLV. He's sporting his UNLV uh, gear right now. That's cool. I mean, I grew up in the 80s and 90s and UNLV was it. You know, Larry Johnson and the Rebels, you know, basketball. That was my that was we all had UNLV hats back in the day. I know that probably doesn't speak to you much. I don't know what was going on in India back. I in don't even know what UNLV is. Okay, we're going to learn about that a little <laughs> bit today. So, anyway, he runs workshops and consults with over thirty-five different NCAA teams, uh, including uh, U of M out in Florida. Um, he works with big corporations bigger than us, so we're super excited to have him here, um, David. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Share, what's, bud. What's up, brother? That was, that's a hell of an introduction, man. I appreciate you guys. <laughs> uh, no, man, I, I'm a simple man, honestly. Like I, I tell people, you know, I'm a business owner and and uh, an educator and a leader, but I'm also a brother and a son and a friend, you know, and those are the most important things to me. Um, so my background, man, honestly, I was I was born and raised in a single parent household. Uh, best gift I could ever be given. You know, my mom was, was an absolute savage and, and she worked her butt off to, to make sure that we had what we needed. Um, you know, was, was blessed to be raised by a strong woman, a strong female role model in the house. And so I think that kind of set the stage for what type of leadership, um, I looked for in my life, obviously, because I didn't have a male role model, you know, so got the opportunity to play football, man. And my coaches were like my father all the way through. And, and I was fortunate to play for, for a great high school and I was a good player on a great team. So shout out to my teammates for letting me ride the coattails on that one. Uh, you know, had the opportunity to play in college and got a degree in business. And I walked out um, with the degree in business and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life. So I started selling IT systems. So I was selling um, like cloud oh, solutions. There, all right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was selling cloud solutions to small and medium businesses all over Pennsylvania um, and learned a ton, man, because it was door to door sales. It was, you know, what do they call it? verbal jujitsu, man? Wow. It's, it's, it's hand to hand combat out there. And, yeah. uh, you know, so I did that for about a year and then I got into coaching and that was when I found, you know, my passion and had the opportunity to have a 10 year career in, in the NCAA and, and in collegiate strength and conditioning. Um, you know, just a small town guy went from, you know, rural Pennsylvania growing up to all of a sudden I'm, I'm coaching against Ohio state on opening weekend. Um, and then the next year we were at USC in the Coliseum, like, you know, so I got some really cool experiences, man. And it was a, it was a great journey. Um, great people, great institutions, you know, it, it was just a really, really fun time of my life. Um, but you know, all good things come to an end. And, you know, at some point I realized that 
one, I wanted to make it a bigger impact than just just college athletics. I wanted to do something on a bigger stage. Uh, I was fortunate to, at that point, have had my master's degree in sports psychology. And so I was ready and, and able and willing. Um, and I walked away from my contract extension. So during the pandemic, right after uh, mm. the NCAA tournament was canceled, uh, we, we had our contract negotiations that following summer. And I got offered the extension. And I just didn't feel right taking it, man. I, I knew I knew my heart was somewhere wow. else. And so I walked away and I launched Edge Leadership Academy and flash forward three years, man, here we are, you know, here we are running and gunning and, you know, getting the opportunity to work with leaders and entrepreneurs and coaches and athletes and, and corporate level people and C-suite execs and, I mean, nonprofits, dude, it's just been, it's been such an awesome run, man. I've been so fortunate to be surrounded by great people, have some great opportunities and, and, you know, make the most of those opportunities throughout the ride. That's cool. You know, it's really neat to hear. I can I can hear the humility and the gratefulness in your voice, and that speaks to me a lot. Um, we got a lot of con- common, brother. It's 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 crazy because it's it, you know it, it never ceases to amaze me how providence kind of brings people together in the strangest of of ways, right? Through sitting in front of a camera, recording, talking to each other. Hopefully, we're sharing enough and inspiring enough people to go out and get after it too. But single parent. Had you know, I was in foster care and stuff, pushed around family to family for a long time, and and but very similarly, uh, you know, I in my in my eyes, God put people in front of me that I needed, you know, to to keep me on the right path. Because Lord knows I would have made some dumb decisions. I mean, I did, but you know, it's like, hey, here's a ditch, get back on the road. Here's a ditch, get back on the road. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's that's really cool. And and cutting your teeth in IT, you know, that <laughs> was that was you know, I had a sit- situation in my life where. I was a nonprofit. I went to school for sociology. I was going to save the world working for like the Boys and Girls Club. That's what I, w- I wanted to run the, the Boys and Girls Club of America. That didn't work out. Uh, and I started working with the Boy Scouts. And that, you know, and I changed. And, and I ran into kind of this quasi-board, you know, nonprofit political situation where I wasn't happy. I wasn't, my rose-colored glasses were shattered when it comes to how I was going to make an impact. Mm-hmm. And, and it was IT sales that saved me. <laughs> of all things, it was managed services, so similar, yeah. uh, but um, you know, B two B wasn't necessarily door to door. But I had to learn quick, and again, yeah, I got connected with some people who who built into me, and um, you know, went from there. So it's kind of neat to hear uh, about that. Tell me a little bit about early on, and uh, you know, as you're going through kind of your education and stuff, learning learning about business in school. And, you know, and actually, you know, being an athlete, you know, how did you manage that in your life? Because I know, you know, I, I did I wasn't successful in my collegiate athletic career. I was a dumb, uncoachable person that didn't listen to anybody. Um, and so I was only playing D3 football, but and I didn't work hard at the time. So tell us about yeah, how you navigated that. You told me that you were a really good player. I, I could have been. <laughs> I, I was... I was fast. New things, Sam. I was too big. About I w- my mind was too big for my britches. That's what my, that's what yeah, my parents would have told yeah. me because, yeah. you know, I wouldn't listen to anybody. So anyway, this isn't about me. This is about David. <laughs> you stop yeah, it. So David, yeah. So, you know, like I'm, <laughs> I really like your name, you know, David Kitchen. I'm really fascinated, you know, with your last name. So what's the story behind that? And what's the history? Dude, honestly, I don't know. I mean, it's totally I- off. Oh, okay. I, have no, I have no idea. No, it's so crazy. I get so many people that ask me that question. And I honestly, I have no, I should do the ancestry.com and like figure it out because I, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. I, have, I have no idea where the last name came from. 
Uh, I mean, I've never heard of a surname like that, and I'm it's it's beautiful. I mean, I, you, just, I, you just like it because you spend too much time in the kitchen. No, yeah, <laughs> eating, you know, but otherwise, you know, like uh, I'm forbidden to enter the kitchen. <laughs> you and me both. You and me both. But no, man, my my college days, uh, we have that in, in common as well, dude. I I was very much so like you. Um, when I was growing up, because I was in that single parent situation and, you know, had to help raise my brother and had to be a role model for him, I was very much on the straight and narrow. And uh, it doesn't mean I wasn't a little bit of a knucklehead in high school. I was, but I I was a little bit more uh, subtle about it, I guess would be the way to put it. And then when I got sure, to college sure. and I no longer had that responsibility because nobody was watching me. I let loose, man, and all the childish yeah, impulses and all the uh, the ego-driven decisions came flooding out, right? So my weekend started on Wednesday, and I would party Wednesday to Sunday, man, and and I was yeah. in a uh, I was at a D three school as well, so I played at Susquehanna University. Um, and to be honest with you, man, my coach told me straight up like I was a nightmare, like like I, I was wow, a nightmare, yeah. man. And, and we, we have a really good relationship now. Cause I've actually, I went back there and coached later in my career. Um, but I asked him, you know, why didn't you kick me off the team? Like, dude, what, what, why did you keep me? Like I was, I was the guy that wasn't showing up on time. You couldn't count on me to, to be in class. I may or may not show up to meetings. I probably was in trouble over the weekend. Um, and he said, you know, Kitch, you needed football more than football needed you. And he was 100% right. Um, I needed that. Yep. I needed that structure because if I didn't, I really would have spun off the rails. Um, and so I played two years and then I ended up blowing my knee three times. So I got medically disqualified um, going into my junior year. And so that was when I actually started to focus on my academics. Like my freshman year, man, I had two one GPA. I was barely eligible. Um, wow. I, like I said, I was a nightmare, dude. Nightmare. Um, and then you know, as I got older and as football got taken away from me, like I realized like, oh, I have to figure this thing out, you know, because nobody's coming to save me. Um, this is my yep. life. This is my responsibility. I have to get back on track here. And so um, fixed my academics, took an internship in London, actually. So our business school um, is one of the top 50 in the nation uh, as far as, as business university or business colleges go. So I was able to take an internship with a company out of the Czech Republic um, and what the way it works is they pay for your housing and they pay for your uh, classes so that you can take classes while you're in London so you wow. don't fall behind. So I convinced about five of my friends to go with me. And we went to London for six months and worked as consultants for, uh, it's called Husky International was the name of the clothing brand. Um, and basically we called it the Don't Stop the Party Tour. Uh, so we, we partied for, for six months in, in Europe and traveled. Um, but that was my first taste of, of being an adult and being in the business world. And uh, it planted a seed that I didn't know, you know, really mattered until now, uh, but got the opportunity to present in front of their board. And so to do that, you know, to, to present in front of a multinational corporation at, you know, 21 years old is, is a pretty cool opportunity. Um, so, oh, yeah, I, I sure. you know, unfortunately, I'm not the guy to tell you about time management. I'm not the guy to tell you about, uh, you know, taking full advantage of every resource our university had to offer. I did not. And, and, uh, I regret it, you know, but it did lead me to where I am today. And so I learned a lot. And, and like I said, that, that London and the European experience was one of the biggest experiences, most, most important experiences of my life. That's cool. Manny, you got anything? I've got a ton of questions. You got anything? Yeah. The first question, you know, what sports are we are talking about here? Yeah. 
Oh, football. Manny did, Manny's not really big on the up and up on U.S. sports, so Manny's. Oh man, I mean, obviously we got to we got to get him. He's a big. Uh, yeah, we, is, I just moved here, and you know, like uh, this is for the viewers, you know, who will be watching from India. So, what sports we are talking about here? I mean, what yeah, sports so, you used fo- to play? So, I I played football specifically. Um, I coached American, a little bit American of everything. Football. Yeah, American oh, American okay. football. Yeah, American football. Listen, if you're not if you're not into it, this is the weekend to get in. Big big weekend in college football coming up. So. Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying to learn the, you know, like how this works. You know, like and we've got teaches me years, almost like every a couple every basketball day. games and yeah. we're in the Midwest. You know, we're in we're in Wisconsin. So we've in got the basketball games, games, I like the energy, energy of the people, especially Bulls in the games. college games. You know, he went to a, a Marquette game last year and he loved. Yeah, that I loved that. Injury. I mean, I loved the, how the people were, you know, cussing the referee. <laughs> you know how they were, you know, like rooting for their team. I loved the energy. You know, yeah. like energy and the game was so fast. I mean, I wanted it to go for like maybe three days. Yeah, no, it's it's fun, man. It's, it's, uh... That's that's what cricket does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was fun. It was fun. So yeah, so coach played football. I think you did some basketball coaching and things too, right? And some strength, yeah, and conditioning yeah, specifically and strength and conditioning. Yeah, so I I handled all the uh, the training process. So everything behind the scenes, um, as far as the weight training, the conditioning, um, all of that stuff was was run through me. And then obviously like game day warm ups and things like that, I ran as well. Um, did a lot of like return to play. So if a player got injured, uh, they would work with me specifically. Um, you know, along with the athletic trainers to, to get them back on the field or the court or whatever they were at. So, yeah, it was it's pretty cool. You get to learn how the human body works. Um, you get a real understanding and a real appreciation for how athletic and how explosive some of these Division One athletes are. Um, and, and you know, for all of us that were, were D3 guys, like, you're always like, ah, maybe I could have. And then you get around them and you're like, no, nah, I you're couldn't like, have. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. You, you you realize like this is a different breed. This is a different. It's it's barely even the same human species. Like these dudes yep. are different. David Bryan said, you know, he doesn't want to hear crazy stories. I want to I hear. Do those. Want the, I don't want too crazy because I don't want like I don't want to get like a YouTube strike because we're talking about stuff we don't need. Or I don't want to get David in trouble with people that said like what happens in the Czech Republic. Okay, we, we won't we, we won't Czech record the, that stuff. But I want to hear you know stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no man, it was uh <laughs> I'll give you I'll give you a story. So we, we uh the the project was was six months long that we were working on and basically what they were trying to do is they wanted American consultants that would find out if it was a good idea for them to expand into North American markets. So they were primarily a European company. They were looking at expanding into the American markets. They wanted us to do all the industry research, all the market research, figure out what the landscape was, figure out if it made sense. So they grouped us into like groups of, I believe it was five of us. Um, and so in my group was me and two of my teammates from college that were on the trip with me. And then we had other people in the group that were with, so I guess there were six of us. There's three other people in the group with us that were, uh, we'll call them much more studious than we were. Um, and so we, we went through, you know, the semester long or the six month long uh, program and the final project and the final thing was that we flew to Prague to the headquarters and we got to present to this, to the board and to the CEO and the founders and, and all the, their people. And so we had to put this presentation together and, and get ready to roll. So obviously we did very little of the work, uh, the football guys. We did a lot more of the partying. So we get to Prague <laughs> and we're there for three days and they put us up in a five-star hotel. It was beautiful. And we decide the first night that we're going to take our team out on our dime because in, in Prague, 
American money way it outweighs the, the exchange rate is ridiculous, right? So you, you can spend a lot of money and not spend a lot of US money. So we took everybody out. It's it's wild. So we took everybody out and we were drinking absinthe and having a great time. I won't, you know, won't mention all the places that we went, but we were all over the place and we had a blast. And yeah, I already like this story. Yeah, yeah. We we had a great time. Had a great time. So <laughs> for us, the football guys, you know, this was a normal Saturday. Like we're like, hey, this is cool, you know. And we put the rest of our team out of commission. Um, <laughs> they were they were so hungover that they did not do much of the work. And so we had to put together this final project. And we had done none of the lead up work the rest of the semester. So we really did not have much clue of what we were talking about. So we start putting together the project the night before the project. We say, you know what? We got to blow off some steam. Let's take them out again. We'll just have a couple <laughs> drinks. We won't get crazy. It's like a great just a idea. couple beers. Yeah, yeah. we just have a couple of beers. So we took them out, had a blast. Same thing happened. We end up just raving, having a great time. So we come back the next, the next that or that night. We have to present in the morning. Again, they're out of commission. So we're up. We're on deck here. So we're in there um, as hungover as can be. And we went against every recommendation that, that, that the rest of the people in the group had made all semester long and completely redid the presentation. And so we ended up telling the, the company that they should not expand, that it wasn't the right time to get into the United States and it wasn't the right time to get into Canada. And everybody thought that they wanted to hear that they should expand, right? I, I came out yeah, and just yeah. said, hey, I don't think it's a good idea. And the CEO is sitting there and he's silent. And I'm like, oh, man, I just really blew this. Like, this is bad. Yeah, yeah. And finally, <laughs> he looks up at me and he goes, I like you. And I was like, uh-huh. okay. So <laughs> he took us that night, took our whole team to his mansion and opened up his wine cellar to us and had catered meals. And we stayed the night in his mansion and we partied and had a blast with the whole senior staff, the C-suite of the company. And then uh, he gave us on the way out the door the next morning, he gave us all a one week Euro trail or Euro rail pass so we could take oh, the train wow, anywhere in cool. Europe. So we, we traveled for a week all over Europe. Um, and, you know, he appreciated. He said, I appreciate people that are honest. And that's why he said, that's why I like you Americans. He said, you have no shame. <laughs> so I don't know if that was a good <laughs> thing or a bad thing. But, but uh, yeah, man, that was so that's a little a little story, a little glimpse into uh, the the don't stop the party tour in, in Europe. So as he's uh, as he's entertaining you, did you guys share with him like what had happened leading up to you guys doing the presentation? Oh yourself? No. no, we act, we acted like it was yeah, oh. we acted like that was planned. <laughs> yeah, no, we we yeah, you guys did stayed, all the research and you know we've been working hard. <laughs> Good idea. We just flipped a coin. Yeah, expand or <laughs> we just just, just kept it quiet. Away. Just kept it quiet. Kept it pushing. Okay. Yeah, man, it was uh, well, ultimately yeah, the honesty wild, world, wild right? time. The truth. I think I can picture that brand. It's a husky, right? Yeah, Husky uh, Husky Limited or Husky Unlimited, one of the two. Yeah. Okay. It's basically like North Face. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. Like an they do like camping, outdoors, yeah. Kind of thing. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Okay. That's a heck of an experience, David, to have at such a young age. You know? Uh, yeah. Oh, it was, it was phenomenal. Is, yeah. That's wild. Very cool. All right. So now talk talk a little bit about. Talk a little bit about your leadership organization. How'd you make the jump? Like you, you when when you're in, you know in the intro, you were talking a little bit about how you just decided to leave that contract behind. You're going to do something new. You know, typically, I don't. I can't say typically. I can only really speak for myself and a few folks that I've talked to in their journeys. You know, but like 
you know, the world doesn't exactly teach us uh, what real leadership is. And we're not often just presented with really good leaders. You know, a lot of the times they're kind of incognito in our lives and we don't recognize it. We just kind of go through life, you know, things happen to us, all that sucks. We're whining. We just jump from problem to problem and not taking control and things like that. How did you get into a place like, for me, it was like, it was, I was work, I was doing IT sales and I, I met a guy, you know, I was just doing, you know, normal kind of business networking in the community that I was working in. And I met a guy, I think through the local chamber and he started speaking my language for a couple of years. I'd been reading a couple books um, that I'd found, you know, um, I read a book a while back called Think and Grow Rich. I'm trying to get this guy to read it, but he doesn't know how to read apparently. But and that kind of shifted my my view on the way things work. And then, uh, you know, I got got a hold of some Kiyosaki books and stuff like that. A lot of people get get go down that road. Um, but I was I was hungry. I was seeing things in my company where I was trying to figure out how to be somebody that could positive influ- positively influence the people around me to take some ownership so we could go to the next level. But I couldn't figure out how to do it. Then I met mm-hmm. this guy, introduced me to this organization that was all about leadership, got involved with that for a few years. And then I just couldn't stop consuming, you know? And the more you consume, at least for me, the more I started applying that in my life. And it just things, you know, I could get go into detail, but again, not about me. But so in relate in hearing that, what was your journey kind of shift your mindset from being that guy that obviously had some skills and was willing to put the work in, whether it's in sports or whether it's in business across the country or across the world? How did you shift to be into what you're what you're doing now? Yeah, it started when I got into coaching. Um, you know, you realize you're responsible for being a role model. You're responsible for being, um, you know, a source of knowledge, a source of perspective for 18 to 22 year old kids. Um, and so you have to practice what you preach, right? And so I dove headfirst into self development and and mm. you know left a lot of the old vices and a lot of the old nonsense behind. Like the, I didn't, you know, I didn't party anymore. I didn't. I mean, I did, but not, you know, not like I used to. Um, and pretty much I just locked in, man. I just, I got around people that were obsessed with being the best, right. And especially to division one level, like you win or you're out. And so I got around people that had that mindset and I got around people that were always looking for the 1% and the things that they could do better, whether it was as a leader, as a man, as a, as a husband, as a coach, it didn't matter. Like we were always looking for that edge, no pun intended. Um, you know, and so once I got around that, like, I was like, I love this. Like, this is, these are the types of people that I want to be surrounded with. Um, And so I started to do the work on myself. I started to go down that rabbit hole, like you said, of, of reading books and really implementing these things into my life and implementing systems and processes and and building new habits um, and getting extremely disciplined with things. And I saw it pay off really quickly. Like I saw the results really quickly. So I saw my career take off in coaching and I could attribute it to all the things that I had learned through reading and through being around the right people and surrounding myself with the right mentors and actively seeking out mentorship. Um, and so that for me was like, okay, this is confirmation of what I had already thought. And then basically as a strength and conditioning coach, your job is to build the culture. Your job is to mm-hmm. introduce these young men and young women to adversity and teach them to overcome it together. And you put people in leadership roles. And so I had experience building leaders and I now had some, some background information as well. Um, I had a master's degree in sports psych. And then I had a player come in my office and he said, coach, I've been the best player on every team I've ever been on. 
And everybody's always telling me to lead. Nobody ever taught me how. And that was like the light bulb moment for me. Like that was like, oh, there's, there's something here. There's something here. Right. And so that's how I launched Edge Leadership Academy. That's when I decided like, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to go and teach this to people because I look back in my own life and I'm like, oh yeah, I've been putting leadership roles from a young age dating all the way back to, you know, being 10 years old and being the man of the house. And nobody ever taught me how there's no playbook for this. And so I want to be the person to teach that. Right. And I want to be the person to help these people. And so um, it started with just athletics and we only did we did like team building. We did leadership development programs, um, things like that for like the first six months. And then I actually had lunch with the guy who's now my business partner or dinner, I guess it was. And he said to me, dude, this stuff would crush in the corporate world. And he had been in sales for 12 years, built a successful career, et cetera. And he said, dude, this stuff will crush in the corporate world. And I'm like, you think? And he's like, yeah, absolutely, man. Let's sit down and let's talk about this. So we built out a whole curriculum um, of how we would teach leadership in the corporate space. It's very similar to how we would teach it in athletics. Um, and sure. we basically just reverse engineered all the traits of leaders, right? Because at this point, I was going back to school for my PhD in psychology. And so I just took the experience that I already had, the curriculum that I already had, added the research to it and backed it with research. And now we had this whole curriculum, right? And so what happens was we ended up launching a corporate training division. And we're now at the point where 90% of our our clients are corporate, probably 10% are athletic. So it's been a complete shift. Um, you know, that's the Reader's Digest version of the, of the business. Obviously, you know, as an entrepreneur, there's a lot of ups, a lot of downs, a lot of twists, a lot sure. of turns along the way. Um, but that's kind of where we, how we got to where we are. That's how I got into, into the leadership business. Very cool. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. What do you, what do you find? What do you find is, uh, one of the biggest catalysts for, for folks that you start working with that, um, they either lack or they have to be able to make that, that shift from just being someone who kind of exists in a, in a group and kind of just works there or to, to making that shift to uh, realizing that, no matter who you are, you're leading in something. You're either good or you're you're not so much. Yeah, I, I think that a lot of that is the result of the environment. Um, but I also think that a lot of people lack the ability to get crystal clear on who they are. Right. I think it's it's really tough for people. Um, if you ask, if you walk up to a person, right, and and you say, What's your vision? Like, what do you want for your life? Right. Like a lot of people don't have an answer to that question. Right. Yeah. And so then if you take it a step further and you say, okay, what's your mission? What do you try and do on a daily basis to get towards the person that you want to become? Most people don't have an answer, right? If you ask them, what are your values? What are the things that you fight for in your life? More importantly, if somebody came to you and took everything away from you, what would you use to rebuild your life? Most people don't know. Right. And right. so I yeah, think for sure. the first step is defining those things. And then you can start to implement on top of that but if you don't have that foundational piece done it's it's almost a it's almost a counterintuitive or not counterintuitive but counterproductive um to try and build anything else because everything will be swayed one way or another like if you're not anchored by a vision and a mission and a set of values then everything you do can be swayed by emotion it can be swayed by um external oh, yeah. resources and things like that like you have to be anchored in that and those are the types of people that you want running your company those are the types of people that you want running your community are people that are anchored in a vision, a mission, and a set of values because it makes every decision for you, right? So when I look at my own life and I say, 
you know, should I go hang out with this person, for example? All I do is ask myself, does it bring me closer to my vision? Yes or no? Does it help me exercise my mission? Yes or no? Does it reflect the values that I want to stand for? Yes or no? If it's not three yeses, I just don't do it. Right? So every decision in your life is is made for you if you have a set of visions, uh, if you have a vision, a mission, and a set of values. And I just, I don't think a lot of people do. So that's the number one thing that we try and help people with um, right from the jump. Before we get into any of the other leadership training, that's where we start. That's awesome. So this leadership training that you're, you're talking about, I mean, is this only for the uh, upper management of a company or it's for everyone in the company? Yeah, this, no, this can be everybody. We, we do, um, it depends on the organization, depends on what, you know, what specifically the project is that they're bringing us in to be a part of. Um, but we've done everything from like C-suite executives and, and upper management type leadership training. But then we also have done workforce stuff where we bring in employees and we do employee engagement um, and make sure that everybody understands what their vision, mission, and values is and how they fit within the culture, right? So if I'm in a, a factory or if I'm in, you know, I'm a frontline employee in some business, like how do I fit into this culture? How do I, imp- how do I influence change? How do I make sure that our company is who we say we are? Um, what are the behaviors that are associated with that, right? So helping people figure that stuff out is important as well. And that's, that's part of what we do. So we work with every level of the organization. We tailor the material. We tailor the curriculum based on, you know, the, the level that we're at. But we work with everybody. So what's the most common type of, you know, like problems you face with these, you know, like organizations? I mean, you know, I'll just tell you from what I have uh, learned or, you know, like seen here in U.S., I mean, and people talk about keep talking about you know, like too. getting stressed, you and know, stressed, my, yeah. getting frustrated, you know, I mean, over, I mean, if I, you know, from, in my opinion, it's, those are like little things. I mean, I, I consider every day as a challenge, you know, there will be new challenges that you have to overcome, but the terminology people use over here is, you know, like stress, anxiety, anxiety. Everybody's so anxious. how do you, how do you tackle that? Yeah, I, I, I think the, the number one thing that we run into, uh, the number one challenge that we run into is like feedback channels, right? And, and people's inability to give and receive feedback. That's one of the biggest organizational challenges that we run into. Um, mm-hmm. from, the, from the mental health side and some of the anxious and then the anxiety and some of that stuff, um, that's a little bit outside my scope. That being said, I think if you create the right environment through your culture, I think it alleviates some of that, right? And so I think by creating a space where um, people know that they are safe, and and I don't mean safe space in like the huggy, touchy-feely type of way. That's not who I am at all. Um, but safe in the sense that hard. Know, you look like you hard- can give a pretty good hug, Dave. <laughs> I, I give a mean bear. I give a mean bear hug, right. bro. But I don't. I don't talk about <laughs> safe places too often. Um, you know, but more so safe in the sense of like. We can have a conversation. I can make a mistake. It's not going to be weaponized against me. So I think you have to do things in business in lower stakes environments before you throw someone in a high stake environment. Because that's where that overwhelm comes from, right? If I throw you into a high level project in a role that you've never been in before, that's going to be overwhelming. And it's going to be somewhat fearful for you, you know, different things. But if I've groomed you and I've given you opportunities to run your own projects and be, you know, put your feet in the water in that role you're now ready for that, right? So I think we have to do a better job of internally developing our people and putting them in those stretch roles and and being intentional about it, right? Because think about it this way, especially from like a sales standpoint. Mm-hmm. How many times in companies does somebody just become the sales manager because they were the highest performing salesman or saleswoman? Like that makes no sense. Why do we do that? 
They have no management yeah. skills. They've never learned how to do any of that stuff. It's a different and personality. Now we're to do it, oh, yeah. Honestly. Yeah. It's, it's a different job. Yep. You know, but we do, we do it all the time. And it's the same thing within, you know, whether they're project managers within certain organizations, like somebody could be on the marketing team and then all of a sudden they become the project manager for the marketing department. And it's like, where was the, where's the bridge? Right. You don't want people to feel overwhelmed. You don't want people to feel anxious. And yet we're throwing them in the deep water and not giving them any training because oftentimes there's nobody there to teach them how to do that role. Yep. It's true. We just hired a, we just hired a new salesperson two months ago, about two and a half. And I remember one of the things that we were t- I was talking about with Manny is like, I'm going to hire a new salesperson, but I'm not going to allow him to start selling for 90 days. You know, that's the minimum he's got to get in. He's like, really? 90 days? That's a long time to have a salesperson on the books and they're not out making money. And I'm like, well, you know, it's going to be hard to find someone that does exact, that has experience successfully doing what we need him to do. Because if he was good at it, he wouldn't be looking for new work because it's high paying. And right. we're gonna, ha- I'm gonna have to train them, have to put them through things. So, um, yeah, it's, and prepare them. Like we're in a couple of weeks, we're gonna be doing heavy role playing for you know for his discovery process and all the things that leads to presenting the solution and stuff. And uh, we're gonna you know hit that pretty hard. And then he's gonna have to do a, a pretty high level training and graduate that training just to get you know get out there and start selling. But he he's excited about it because he's been in situations where he's just been thrown to the wolves. You know, yeah. So yeah, you you got to train your people. You have to invest in them. Oh yeah. So how does uh, what like what's it like in India in that same situation, Manny? I mean, okay, you know the time period is less over back back in India because you know we want results quickly and uh, uh, generally we find people who have the kind of experience we are looking for. But yeah, sometimes we I mean you know this industry that we are working in right now. I mean you know like I was in India and never thought that you know we will be working for a you know U.S. company. And this was thrown at us, you know, like, okay, this is a new opportunity. And what I was doing at my young age, like I was maybe like 19 and I was doing a software course, you know, to become a programmer. And suddenly one day, you know, like an opportunity came, which my mother brought to me. Okay. This is something called, you know, like transcription, you know, it's a U.S. company. They are training people over here. Why don't you go and try there? (laughs) So, Yeah. Out of the blue, she just I wanted you sitting, out of the house. You know, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> she thought you were sitting around playing. I told, video I told games. you guys, I was a straight kid. You know, I didn't do anything. <laughs> no you trouble. know, like crazy stuff. Yeah, no, no trouble. Yeah, so she wanted you. me to get out of the house and do some crazy stuff. That I did. You know, when I was working there. So, yeah, this was a new thing, and there was the first time I got in touch with you. You know how America works. You know the American culture, the work culture, the work environment. It was totally new. It was totally new for uh, around 200 people that they were training. I mean, all these people from America flew in and they were training, you know, people from totally different culture, Mm. you know, different backgrounds. Do you think that was was effective? Oh, yeah, it was, you know, like, okay, before that, you know, like uh, it was in 1997. I never saw any, you know, like American movies. You know, maybe Basic Instinct. Yeah, that was my first. Oh movie. yeah, that's a real. That's a real good first movie to see. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was the first movie I saw. But you know, before that, I had no clue about you know what America is. 
I mean, internet started back in India. It was like I believe in 1992. So from there, we started learning about you know like the whole world and everything. But this was like thrown at us. You know, this is the thing that you have to learn, and it took us some some time. You know, like exactly to learn what we are supposed to do. It yeah. took us almost two months to understand. You know, it was totally different. You know, like how things work there and how things you know work back in India. So it was wonderful. So I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, I, I get that. Hmm. <laughs> no, no, I I think it's yeah, interesting I mean, too the the approach to to training. Like some some organizations that we work with are very proactive. Um, so for instance, we work with an organization that has what's called a rising stars program, right? So they identify people that may be at that front line or that bottom of the organizational chart that have the potential to become a leader, and they deploy resources to train these people to then become leaders. So we go in and we'll work with them. Um, and identify, you know, what what are some skills that we want these people to build, um, whether it's one on one training or cohort style or whatever. Um, and so there are organizations that do that. I do think that there's not enough of them. Um, and I think the fear, the general fear from from C level and, and senior management is, well, what if we invest in these people and they leave, right? And my question is always, yeah. what if you what if you don't invest in them and they stay? And they stay. Yeah, that's a big one right there. That's a huge one. It's a huge one because it, it it's far worse. Yeah. It's far worse I've, to not invest in somebody and they stay than it is to invest and have them leave because at least you're building into somebody, you know, and they're going to go out and um, that comes back to you, I believe, you know. And they, so, and they may come back in a senior, in a senior role, right? Yeah. Maybe they leave, you know, maybe they get a quick raise or they get a quick, a quick uh, title bump or whatever because of the training that you got them. They leave, they go, they're successful for three, four, five, six, seven, whatever, however many years. And then they come back as a senior level manager in your company. That's a win-win. You know, that's a win-win. And if you nurture the relationships and you maintain the relationships and you treat your people right, why would they not want to come back? Absolutely. Yeah. Very that cool. makes sense. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, we have seen that in our company, you know, people who have left us and after they, we gave them training. Now they're back again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the kind of culture we gave them, you know, they didn't find that in some other company, you know, the other companies were not ready to invest on them and they came back. They came back. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Cool. Well, you know, David, we're, we're a producer says we got to gotta do some, some other topics here. So we've got a few things. Maybe we'll, we'll cut <laughs> into it. Um, just real quick, you know, we're, we're a company that, that, I mean, I think all companies leverage technology in some way. And one of the big things that obviously a lot of people are dealing with this, especially in 2023, there was a buildup to it at the end of last year, but, you know, artificial intelligence, right? So a lot of people are scared that computers are going to take their jobs, just like, you know, there's other industries in the last, you know, couple decades that everybody thought that, you know, auto workers were going to be completely replaced by robots, but we still have auto workers, you know, like I think there's a well, balance. That will happen one day. Yeah, it will. There's a, but there's, there's an in-between, like usually there's the extremes and something, something in between. So uh, do you run across uh use of, use of AI in your world? Do you leverage it in any way to help you, you know, put together information to help you get things done faster? How are you seeing it affect your business or at least the, the businesses that you're working with? Yeah, I, th I think it's the businesses I work with um, are always looking to take adv advantage of AI and automation, uh, especially some of the larger ones. I think for us in-house, it's a little bit different because we're in such a creative space, right? So we use it more for like brainstorming ideas. Um, so I'll be the first yeah. to admit that a lot of our, our content will start with um, 
an outline put into chat GPT and then we'll take that out. We'll add what we need, what we want, take out, you know, the, the robotic voices and everything and, and make sure it's, sure it's a fully formed idea. I think the, the, the danger for creative companies and companies that leverage IP um, is to become too reliant on AI, right? At, because it's not meant to think for you. And you have to make right. sure that you're working with AI, right? That to me is is the key. And that's the big thing that I try and get across to our team. Hey, I'm okay with us generating content ideas. I'm okay with us generating blog ideas. I'm okay with us generating things like that through AI, right? But we need to remember that we're leveraging AI. We're working with it. That's not a fully formed idea that comes out, right? We have to right. make sure yep. that we're fleshing things out. And I think that's the big risk for creatives. Um, I think... You know, for for some of the processes and some of that stuff, it is extremely helpful. Like we do use it for um, some of our internal SOPs and some of the things that you know we can kind of systematize. Like we will use AI for that. Um, one of the other things that we kind of play with is like some of the Zapier, like the automations and stuff, like the trigger sequences. Um, some of that stuff is helpful for us just managing like some of the back end, um, some of our back end operations. But yeah, I, I don't think. I don't fear it ever replacing my job. I'm in the people business. And, and so, right. you know, I think for me, I'm kind of not AI proof, but um, I think just with the nature of what I do, it'll be very, very hard um, for for AI to, to replace what I do. Um, and I think, you know, it's something that we need to invest more time into of like, how can we use this to help us build out other other arms and legs of our businesses, right? And I think that's, when you look at it, I mean, it's like any major revolution in, in, in business, right? The people that figure it out, the early adopters and the people that get on the wave right and spend the time getting educated on it are the ones that are going to make the right pivots and be able to really leverage it and they'll get a jump and then things will even out again. And then another big, you know, some other big revolution will come along and then there'll be another jump. I mean, it's all cyclical, um, but I think it's here to stay. That's for, that's for sure. Absolutely. How do you feel about some of the ways that it's coming out that people are thinking about using it in healthcare when it comes to like, I was reading some articles about how pharmaceutical companies are, are looking at starting to use it because it may be able to speed up the process of testing things that eventually get deployed to people like where it used to take 12 years, you know, these, you know, an AI, uh, you know, a, a learning or a machine AI might be able to cut that down to a couple months. It scares me a little bit, I'll be honest, or using it in the diagnosis type of category. Yeah. You know, I, if, I think anytime you, yeah, I think anytime you start to involve like medicine and then humans, there's gotta be checks and balances, right? Like yeah, <laughs> there's just gotta sure. be, there, yeah. there's gotta be a, a limit to how far we're going to let this thing go. I, I think, um, you know, obviously they're very, they're much better at training their AIs and they have people that, that do that than, than like somebody like me, like it takes me forever to train mine to do, just simple tasks right um, anything right you know but but for them they obviously have people that that can train them at a high level but yeah i, I think whenever you're involving healthcare in the human body like there's got to be some checks and balances in there um but I, I mean i'm sure well i shouldn't say i'm sure nothing's ever sure when it comes to big pharma um right i'd like to think that there would be yeah for sure okay cool awesome um all right let's talk about some fun stuff what um <laughs> Oh, okay. So this is on here. All right. So when, when did you graduate high school, David? Uh, 2010. 2010. Okay. So you're about 12 years younger than me. Um, 
But you would have been, I mean, you're probably a lifelong sports fan. You probably had a lot of exposure to Deion Sanders late in oh, his career. Absolutely. Yeah, prime time. Uh, right? So, so like, um, so I was born in 80. So I was about, I was about nine or 10, 89 when he broke into the league and he's playing football and he's playing baseball. I mean, Neon Dion primetime was, was it, you know, he's in, you know, MC hammer videos and, you know, he was, it, it was my two he was favorite swagger before it was swagger. Right. It was, it was, it was absolutely like, um, you know, there was, there was Dion and Bo Jackson back then that were the two dual sport people. Bo was all hammer, you know, like he was just brute force, but you know, he was an unbelievable athlete. All I can do is nod. Yeah. Right. Just I keep nodding. That. And then there was Dion. <laughs> he was, it was prime time, right? He was out there and, you know, he, he had this air to him that was um, like almost untouchable and he knew it. Uh, but I remember one of the first books I ever read was a book, uh, was one of his like early kind of biographical books. It was real short. I was maybe in like sixth grade or something. And I heard the story about when he, he was competing in track at Florida State and he, ran, he finished his relay running backwards and they still won. And I'm like, that blew my mind. And from that moment on, because I love track, I love running, I was a sprinter. I mean, it was my two favorite athletes were really different. It was Emmett Smith and Dion. So Emmett yeah. Smith and Dion. So like this whole thing going on with him these last couple of years, getting into coaching and stuff, and then the impact. You know, his personality is is magnetic. So yeah, he's going to be on the front page. But the fact that they're winning right now, he's got a long way to go. Don't get me wrong. He's going to have a lot of adversity. He's not going to win every single game he ever you know he ever coaches. But what what are your thoughts on Dion and what he's doing right now? Having the experience you've had with with uh you know. D one programs and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I love it, man. I, I think um I think he's good for coaching, one. Um, you know, without getting too polarizing. I mean, obviously there's the, the minority piece to it. I think he's good for coaching because he's doing yeah. it his way. Um and he's coming in, he's unapologetic and he, and he's and he's coaching the way he wants to coach with his personality. Um, you know, I think too, there's something to be said about leadership where you can just get people to buy into you, right? Like he's not, he'll be the first to tell you he's not an X's and O's guy. Like obviously he has, you know, experience being on the field, experience playing high level, um, but he's not a schemer. He's not out here game planning and doing that stuff. Like he, he hired good coaches, surrounded himself with them, let them do their job. His job is to motivate and to organize and to monitor and to engage. Like that's what he does. Um, and I think that's, you know, a really, a really unique blend of traits to have that self-awareness to be able to do that at that level. Um, so I'm, I'm excited, man. I'm excited to see what he's done. I'm excited to see what it, what he can build over time. So cool. we're talking about college football. So yeah, yeah. So it was. I mean, okay. What's happening this weekend? You know, what's your plan for this weekend? <laughs> yeah, you got anything? Got any big plans this weekend, David? Are you man, I will be glued. I will be glued to the TV on Saturday. Um, this is the first season in 10 years that I've been able to be a fan. Um, so this is this is new for me. This is uncharted territory to, to try and kick back and, and watch some games, man, is is completely new. I'm used to being on the sidelines, so I'm excited. Um, this is a huge weekend with ranked matchups. It's going to be fun to watch. I'm a Penn State fan, so I'm excited to actually be able to, to sit down and watch okay, some Penn yeah, State I games. So. I got a good buddy that's a Penn State fan. It sounds, it, it sounds like they're getting in a good place. It's been tough for them the last decade or so, huh? Yeah, it's like they they're finally getting over the hump. They're finally getting yeah. back to the point of, you know, they're they're not Ohio State, they're not 
I hate to say that, you know, they're not Michigan yet, but they're they're getting there. And <laughs> and that's exciting for me, you know. So as a fan, um, I was fortunate, like I said, the last the last decade I've been coaching, so I didn't have to suffer through it. Uh, yeah. um, you know, so I kind of get to jump back into the bandwagon when things are good. So Big Ten football. So Manny, just catch you up a little bit. College football. Division one is right underneath the pros. It's like the highest level you can get before you go pro. Like so Big Ten is a conference. There's a bunch of different conferences, hundreds of different D1 college schools. So it's not like NFL football where you've got like 30-some teams, right? So the Big Ten is Penn State is is one of the the schools in the Big Ten. Actually, it's more than 10 schools in the Big Ten now. But Wisconsin, University of Wisconsin, Big Ten team. Michigan, Big Ten team. Um, Illinois, Big Ten team. So it's relatively Midwest. We've got some other outliers like Nebraska has kind of made their way in and stuff like that. But that's cool. So we've got another. We've got a Big Ten guy here, so, so we can uh, like the college football and the pro football. Do they like you know like what I saw in basketball? Mm-hmm. That college games are of different uh, you know time frames than you know. Yeah, college games. games. Uh, uh, yeah. So the the. The the quarter length in college games is a little bit shorter, right? Uh, I, be- I believe it's twelve. Yeah, it's I think just it's twelve still f- minutes. Twelve minutes. Yeah, instead yeah, of instead minutes. of fifteen. But um, you know, college games similarly to what you experience with basketball, different environment at the game. Like yeah. uh, college, uh, surprisingly, especially in the Big Ten, a lot of the college stadiums are bigger than any NFL stadium when it comes to wow, how many people. Really. Involved. Yeah, like Michigan holds like 108, 110,000 or something like that, maybe more. Yeah, when, when we played when we played Ohio State opening weekend there was 110,000 at the game. <laughs> at a college game. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like you go you can't even you go to Lambeau Field and it holds yeah. maybe like 70 something, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean that's a lot of people for, you know, any American I mean. It's crazy. And it's a yeah, crazy it's a, it's a, it's a Different environment, different environment. Yeah. So, yep. like, are college uh, football is college football more popular than pro, or they are at the same level? I, I think college is probably more popular broadly. Yeah, um, I would say commercially, the NFL yeah. is probably the most popular. Right. But yeah. From a standpoint of, there's so many college teams, you know, and the, from a, people getting involved and going to see their teams and stuff like that, and the things it does for the communities that it exists in and surrounding communities. Yeah. I would agree with you, David. Cause like there's like, like state college, Pennsylvania is a medium sized town. Right. And then every Saturday during football season, it becomes the third largest city in Pennsylvania behind Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. So it goes from a small town to the third largest city every weekend. Um, And so what it does for the local economies is just unbelievable. Most of those towns, most of those so college you, towns, wouldn't exist without the without that. Without the college. I mean, town. Wisconsin's kind of a, a weird state like that. There's a few. I think Midwest states get to be like that, but almost everybody in Wisconsin identifies with the Packers, right? And in the same way, almost everybody in Wisconsin identifies with the Badgers. You know, you've got Marquette and stuff like that, but Marquette's just got a basketball program that's high level. Um, but you know, there's state schools all over Wisconsin that have. Mm-hmm. D3 football teams but they all those state schools feed the big school the University of Wisconsin so yeah, college football is crazy I grew up in Texas so in Texas oh, big so state it. it's you know there's 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 a lot 
there's more viable big teams in Texas now, but it was it was U of it was U of UT and Texas A and M. You're either a Longhorn or you're an Aggie. Okay. You know, and like as a kid, it, it's just running thing. Your kids are either thumbs up or your horns. You know what I mean? So, yeah, college and that's football. You know, to some degree, ba- basketball falls in there too. But something about football in America that just resonates with people. But you know what? Like uh, when I talk from you know, like from Indian stand to a point, people in India know more about you know basketball players. I mean, they are big there. Like yeah. people, everybody knows about you know Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant. You know, like all these you know like big players. We have not heard. I mean, American football is so popular, but we have not heard much about you know like Aaron Rodgers or you know like any of the famous you know football players. Yes, why That's is that? I mean, why? You know, we could like have a whole episode on the psychology yeah. of sports and international. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, th- I think fo- football is just not an international game yet. Yeah. Yes, if it's not an international game still, but it's like pretty popular here, and you know, it can be popular everywhere. You know, basketball primarily, I think, and you know, like it originated in the US. Or yeah, maybe a game you know yeah, from Kentucky. US, right? And yeah. even you know, like YMCA. baseball, baseball, lot lots of other countries are also playing baseball. Why football is not able to cross over to you know like? Uh, other countries you know that's a good question yeah so, I, I don't know i think it's a vi- maybe david's the gonna be I don't watching know. football all weekend manny what are you doing this weekend what are you doing this weekend maybe i'll watch some you know games i mean yeah sit around yeah sit around and watch games cool. if my wife lets me otherwise you know like i'll be watching shopping, shopping or something yeah <laughs> <laughs> so weekends are not on me you know like i cannot plan my weekends i, can I told you you could come my- camping with me but you didn't want to go Again, I'm telling you, like when I say when I cannot plan because I don't have the power to plan. My, <laughs> my other half, you know, like has the power. All I think the we power. know who's, who holds the leadership in the in the, yeah. the courthouse. <laughs> cool, man. Well, this has been great, David. Uh, yeah. Awesome. I wish we had way more time, but uh, I yeah, know you've I probably got a lot of things to, to get more, done yeah. today. Yeah. Like, um, you know, we'll let some time, but I, I definitely want to take some time here in the future bring you back on and let's go deeper into what you've done and and talk about how you've blown up since you know you came on this cast and talked to us so yeah um, would love to brother yeah this has been great uh so let's wrap things up hey everybody thanks for joining us for episode two of the business line podcast we will see you in one week thanks everybody